You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith in conversations with my friends and family. And this episode is coming at you a few days early. On Tuesday, March 16th, eight lives were taken by a white domestic terrorist with ties to a radical sect of an extremist religion. Six of the lives taken belonged to Asian women, which made this attack another example of the rising violence against the AAPI community. And as a fellow person of color, I wanted to, needed to try to find a way to put words around how deeply disturbing, deeply rooted, and unfortunately deeply unsurprising this moment in time is. And to hopefully take some steps toward making the phrase, stop Asian hate, more than just a hashtag. So I asked a new old friend to help me, and here we are. Episode 2.7. Let's go. When I first saw Adrian Gibbs. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I am honored to be here. I am honored to have you. I feel like we like have like like hung out with each other like adjacent and like we've like just in passing like chat chit chatted. As the person I've actually got to speak to you in the in, in the flesh, the digital flesh, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we've been in we've been at a lot of the same parties. Totally. I've seen you across the room. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's that's exactly right. That's exactly you know? right. And if people would, were like, "Oh, do you know him?" I'd be like, "Yeah." It's like, could you we introduce don't... me? No, 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 not like that. <laughs> <laughs> but after today, totally. So I know you from your podcast, Dirty Rotten Church Kids. Uh, I've been listening for about a year, I guess, um, and I can't even remember now how I originally found you guys. But I'm going to guess it was probably through, probably through a guest on some other podcast, um, the first deconstructiony kind of podcast I ever started listening to was almost heretical. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to assume that they probably had a guest on that I liked and probably went to see, you know, where else they had been, and that's probably how I found you guys. Yeah, I feel like in like evangelical deconstruction land like you're always kind of just a few degrees of separation from someone you know Ooh, everyone kind of knows everyone else that could yeah. be like a fun little game like six degrees totally of <laughs> dirty rotten church kids uh, yeah absolutely <laughs> so yeah so i found you because deconstructing ex evangelical all the good things um so at one point i was definitely a hundred percent a christian proud of it good with it um and now it's a question week to week whether or not i am mm-hmm. so adrian yeah. give me three things that to you make someone a christian oh boy <sighs> well I, I guess i can maybe look at what i used to consider when i did consider myself a christian these days like i don't know probably not i don't i don't really consider myself a christian these days mostly because like if you say you're a christian and you have to prove it. And I'm like, I don't want to fucking prove anything to anybody. So I'd rather just say no. That way, It's just easier that way. Um, you know, so, yeah. But I think when I really was, like, deep in the Christian bubble, to me, like, the biggest thing was believing in a literal Jesus. 
uh, and then believing in a literal resurrection, uh, and then believing in a literal heaven and literal hell. To me, those are like the three things that like, because if any one of those pieces were off the table, then I was like, well, then what's the point, right? Which is funny. Now I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. What's the point? Like, yeah, you did it. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny how like the things you were so afraid of, like now you're like, no, that, you were right about that. You're totally right. Um, yeah, those are probably my three things. All right. So then based on that, this week, I'm definitely not a Christian. <laughs> because for me, heaven, heaven and hell were like the first things to go. Yeah, and like right now, as far as Jesus and the resurrection, that's one of those things I'm like choosing not to think about and choosing not to have a position on right now. Totally. Like I definitely think, yeah, Jesus existed. Um, but what what he was beyond that and what he did beyond that, I don't yeah. know. Um, I like him. As, yeah. a, as a character and yeah. a story I'm familiar with. Yeah, I feel like it's like if you if like you if you like determine that Jesus has to have been literally true, literally existed, and if you like predetermine that resurrection has to have literally happened and heaven and hell have to be literal places, then it forces you into like a whole other realm of questions and frustration. And I'm almost like, I can actually avoid all of those things by just like one big, like spiritual shrug. Like, I really don't know, you know, like, and, and I think people don't like that answer. They're like, well, what do you mean you don't know? Like you not knowing is you knowing something. They'll try and kind of spin it as some sort of apologetic thing. And I'm like, I guess you can say that if you'd like, but I actually prefer how I exist in the world, just kind of shrugging it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Big fan of you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> you did good, JC. <laughs> Mr. Christ. Mr. Know Christ. I'm going to let your last name. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's that's where we are now. But, Adrian, how did how did you get here? What is your, your church history? Well, Janice, man. So, okay. So, I was born um, in, like, so my, my mother is... is brought up Catholic. And then my stepdad is Pentecostal. Um, he was an ordained minister. My grandfather was a pastor. And then my great grandfather was a pastor on my dad's side. So I grew up in this long line of evangelicals. And so that coupled with my mom coming over as she moved to, the, to America when she was like 22 or 23 and just like adapted to kind of the white evangelical monolith right away and part of that is like letting go of catholicism and embracing kind of white jesus you know yeah. um and so I, I was brought up in that so I was summer camp every summer um church multiple times a week um it was my only thing people talk about like oh you know what did you do like well you know i did like like basketball and i like went fishing and like no like i did church like that was my thing uh and i operated in and around those spaces my entire life so I grew up in church and then as soon as I was old enough to begin serving on the worship team, I did that. I like would stack chairs and I was uh, a, a counselor at like Awana and I was like, like everything, I was a small group leader, anything and everything that I could physically do to get as close to this thing as possible, I did it. Um, and so I think so much of what I do now is 
not picking apart like one particular denomination or something. Cause oftentimes people go, well, you know, like you just did the mega church thing, but like, if you really, if you knew reformed theology, then maybe that wouldn't be a problem or whatever they say. Right. Um, whereas for me, I kind of interacted with so many different denominations throughout my life from mega church, Baptist, Pentecostal, mm-hmm. like hyper reformed, this whole thing that now on the other side of everything, it's more of like, look at like, the water we're swimming in. It's not some sort of like siloed thing. There's something like the well is poisoned. You know what I mean? Um, so that's kind of been the, kind of been my, my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that How is you, funny. did you, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I know that you're, this is your show. But I'm really curious. Like, did you, uh, grow up in one denomination or did you like do a bunch of different denominations? So I grew up in, um, yeah, one denomination, one church pretty much my whole life. Um, a very small, very Pentecostal, um, charismatic, you know, you guys tell your stories of visiting the churches with the shofars and was that you, were you, were you, were y'all the shofar people? That's amazing. You know, I mean, only for special occasions, not like every week. Like, it was like a party shofar, like yeah. an Easter shofar. It's not, you know, it's not an every Sunday shofar, you know, but every right. Sunday tambourines and, um, Every, maybe every third Sunday, you got some flag action and some, you know, streamers. Um, So, yeah, so grew up in a very, I would say, very much more racially mixed than um, the white evangelical spaces. Sure. But, like, now I'm at this place where I'm not really asking people, like, did you, have you ever had, like, a black pastor? Um, I mean, that is that is a question and a discussion, but I'm like more, did you have you ever had a decolonized pastor? Because mm. um, I was I was talking with another another friend and she was mentioning the church she grew up in and, you know, black black man pastor. But we had a lot of the same spiritual grandparents, I guess. Mm-hmm, so it was mm-hmm. like Kenneth Copeland yeah. and, you know, people like that who I know from you know, growing up and like, um, mm. I'm 90% sure Kenneth Copeland came to my church at some point, like he oh, would wow. have been, you know, <laughs> sure, a guest pastor. Um, and so it's like, oh, so you had like these black leaders, but they were under this very, very white patriarchal leadership. Mm-hmm. And so like feeding, feeding the same stuff through. Yeah. Um, so then when I made the move to you know, Hillsong and made the move to that mega church structure. The only thing that really changed was like the, the coolness factor and mm-hmm. the, the time sensitiveness. <laughs> the, t- like, the tightness you know? of the pants. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, the- yeah. The tightness of the pants <laughs> and the services, like, you know, you know what you're getting, you're getting in and out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the theology the same. is the same. Did you ever, that said, how many times have you had folks be like, well, you know, you're just mad at like Hillsong. Like, what if you just went to this church? Or like, you should try my church. Like, my church is totally different. You get that a lot? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, not as much anymore. I mean, sure. I think because people... You gave up on you? Yeah. Like, they, know, <laughs> they don't, they don't want to have, have that. Yeah. Um, and I, honestly, I don't think most people... You don't want me to come to your church because mm. I will destroy it, you know, <laughs> shortly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but everybody thinks their church is different. And for a long time, and I think I still, I still want to believe that because mm. I want 
I want people to have what they need. And I'm like, and some people still need a church structure. So I wish, I wish it could be true. And I think maybe in early days it can be, but like now I'm just like, oh, as soon as power and hierarchy get involved, like it's going to go bad. Mm. Like it's not, not a question of if, it's just like when, like how long, how long is this going to take to self-destruct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, going into the mega churches, I fit right in. I think the only, like I said, the, the, the tightness of the pants, the tightness of the services. And then I think it's a little dumber. Okay. Um, what do you mean? Like, like I definitely came into the mega church knowing more Bible than most uh, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Like, sure. like you had to, scripture was just drilled in to me mm-hmm. when I was, you know, younger. So I just knew more about the Bible. Did you, were you brought up learning that the more versed you are in the Bible, the more formidable of a foe you are to the enemy? Absolutely. I totally did. Like, they would be like, the reason why Jesus survived in the wilderness. He knew the word. He knew the word. The devil knows the word. Well, if you don't know the word better than the the devil, then you'll fall victim, fall prey to the, to the, the thief or whatever. So, yeah, I, I was like, oh, bro, I need to sharpen my fucking axe right now. We're going to right. war. <laughs> right. And did, like, did you ever play, like, the, the sword drills? You oh, know? yeah. Well, so mm-hmm. I, yeah, all, like, the, the Bible drills, like, the Bible study, all, like, the Bible, Sunday school, all that stuff. Like, it's hardcore, man. And then, like, you're singing how you're in the Lord's army. Like, so, so really, from the get, the, the kind of weaponization of your faith, it starts in like a very spiritual place, I think, but the lines so quickly blur between it's us versus the the evil spirit. And then it's us versus anywhere evil spirits can be perceived to exist. And then all of a sudden it's you against all of culture. What the fuck? Like you against Pokemon. Okay, great. (laughs) Fucking relax. Yeah. It was, you know, it's such a fear-based religion and you're so scared of everything and everything is the spirit and everything is something to be fought against. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember, you know, I mean, I just always had questions. And those, I mean, were not allowed. So you just keep that, just keep that to yourself. Um, but I was just thinking, I'm like, how, I mean, what are we doing? Because it seems like we're fighting a losing battle. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> Satan has everything. And right. spirits are everywhere. And, right. you know, down to, you know, my mom would be really big on, like, you know, word curses and the things that you say yeah. and, you know, the evil you can bring on yourself just, just by joking around. And, you know, cause there's a scripture for that too. Like every word will be called into account. And so <laughs> I forgot, yo, I haven't heard that one in a minute, Janice. God damn it. Every <laughs> word will be called into account. Oh shit. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go wash my mouth out with soap. <laughs> can you imagine if that actually happened? And God's like, let me, here's your fuck list. And he just listen. <laughs> I'm in the most trouble. Like, <laughs> like Lord, I'm gonna stop you right there. We're gonna be here for a minute. All right, so yeah. just give me like the some the grand total. Let's yeah, just move just, on. just give me just yeah. Just give me the up. final number. Just, I mean, no, just we don't need my to score. go through. It's fine. <laughs> we don't it's need like, to go like, through. I don't want to know everything I got wrong on the test. Just give me my grade. Yeah, the only thing I would like to know: Did I get a high score? Like, who am I? <laughs> I won this, right? 100%. I mean, I'm losing, obviously. Yeah, right, exactly. But I'm, I won this. Yeah, just tell me um, I won. <laughs> but that's, no, so all of that kind of like leads like right into 
what we're talking about today. I mean, because this young white Christian guy just went on a killing spree. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only been a a few days, but we already know so much about him and his, his motivation, though he's saying that's not his motivation. But it's crazy because it is the intersection of so many things that are going on right now, but also this weird intersection of the very culture we grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I can't even can't even kind of separate, you know, the the threads of the story and when I knew what. But it's like, okay, young white male, not surprising at all. You know, 21, that's kind of scary because, you know, we keep hyping this this theory that, no, the next generation, they're going to be fine. They're going to save us. Oh, wow. um, yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> oh, these people yeah. are going to die out and we'll, we'll be good. And then it's like, oh, right. no. That's they're... true. That's true. You're like, once the boomers are gone, then all the crazy Christians will be gone. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you're right about that. And we'll be good. Um, no. And then, you know, now it's brought purity culture into it in a, mm-hmm. you know, crazy way um but then this is a very targeted asian violence uh like a peak you know i would love to say the culmination but like it's not over um so a peak of this violence that has been rising Mm -hmm. um so yes like what are your some of your kind of raw initial you i think you put so much good language around that Janice, because it's like a, it's a crock pot right now. Like it is not some, some sort of like, this is a, this is a burrito bowl of bullshit that's happening right now. Okay. Like there are so many components that are coming together in this weird fucking mess that it almost would have been, this sounds fucked up to say, but almost would have been easier if you're like, Hey, this guy was like some like crazy non-religious person who just hated anyone who wasn't white. It's like, no, but now you have to introduce like hyper spirituality. You have to introduce like sexual repression and purity culture. And you have to weave that in with like the ways that his specific kind of like fetishized sexual repression was pointed at Asian women. Right. And so now you're pulling in colonization and white supremacy. Like it is this whole thing. And I, funny for me is I, for whatever reason on Tuesday morning, I decided, I was like, I don't know why. I just feel like like exhausted with Twitter. And I, I deleted it off my phone. I, I was like, awful. I, I'm like, I, you know, I just don't want this right now. I don't know what happened. But just something in my gut was like, whatever. I don't, this is stressing me out today. So I took it off my phone. And then literally the next day, I like added it back on, just I, on a whim. And uh, no, no, I was on Instagram and someone was posting all these stories about Stop Asian Hate hashtag stop Asian hate. And then they're like, uh, the day that the AAPI, like uh, an organization uh, supporting AAPI uh, causes is talking about this. And then all of a sudden there's this mass shooting. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I don't have, I don't like my news is Twitter, right? So I'm like, okay, here we go. So I grab my, like my Twitter app, I reinstall it and I look at it. And then all of a sudden it's like this bullshit. Right. And it was one of those moments where I was like, regardless of how much I want to say about whether God exists or doesn't, whether that was just my own intuition, my body saying like, Hey, you're going to need to space out for this for a little bit. Because if you, if I was right present in real time, just experiencing everything, I don't know how I would have 
really been able to deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Cause this was like, I was like a full day separated from it. Right. Um, but when you look at all the different ways that it's coming together and almost the more we started to learn, the worse it got. Yeah. You know, like obviously my heart breaks for the fact that like the women that were murdered and the two people, I don't know, it was six Asian women. Were the other two employees or were they customers? Do we know? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but it's the devastation, like just the grief. And, and I think not being able to parse out the why, because all of it is, you know, it's like you can't pee in one corner of the pool. Like all of it is like together. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's where the most devastation is to me because it's, it's almost like, where do you even begin to address this? Yeah. So it's been, I don't know, like I, as a member of the black community, um, obviously so much violence happens, police brutality, like it seems there's always something. Um, And so like, I'm not, I'm not surprised anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's always hurtful and it's always saddening, but like it's not it's not surprising. And it's just like, oh, like here here we go again. Mm-hmm. And then with this, I felt and feel and feel bad because I hadn't not that I hadn't been taking it seriously, like with with all the things that have been happening, but I think I had been you know, and these are the moments where I just have to be honest with myself and be like, okay, this is where, this is where white supremacy is winning. And this is, you know, one of the things that it does, like where it pits our communities against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, I could see, see these things happening. And then in the back of my mind kind of have this thing of being like, they'll be fine. (laughs) Like (laughs) they're, they're the model minority. Like, they're they'll be okay um and also kind of like this sense of exhaustion because it's like how many things am i supposed to care about right now and you know how do i i think it's part of like capitalism where it's like everything is scarce and there's not enough of anything and so it's like if i give this attention Mm -hmm. then that's going to take away from the attention we're getting over here And now I'm like, like, how sick is that? That we like have to fight over justice. (laughs) Parse out justice. Yeah, no, totally, totally. I I remember like there are so many things that so because I um I grew up like so my mom when I was very young my mom remarried so I was like three or four my mom remarried a white guy named Norman Gibbs Mm -hmm. and whiter than mayonnaise straight out of Wichita Kansas like super super white. And I never had a relationship with my biological father. And so I just was always brought up as a Gibbs, right? Uh, and just by having, just by this, the, the virtue of having a white dad, like an educated mother and a white last name, I was able to move in and out of these white spaces. I have, there is zero white DNA in my body. Like I am Filipino, both sides, um, and a little bit uh, Chinese. And so... But just by the sheer virtue of kind of like this sort of like white protection, I was able to kind of interact. That said, despite that, 
I still was like constantly reminded of my own Asian-ness, right? And all of those things that come with that, right? To your point, the model minority, that's like a legit thing. Everyone likes you, but they like you in the way that they like a puppy or something. Like everyone thinks that they love kind of how quiet you are, how like, how, how, how like loyal you will be to them. And like, they like kind of how low maintenance you are. You don't say much. And that is like baked in to, I think the ways that so many Asian folks are trained to interact with whiteness. And, and we had a good conversation with Joe Lumen, who I really love and respect. And she was saying that if, if, in, in her perspective, she said that like the Asian community and uh, like the Latin community, they like the Latino community, they were closer in proximity to whiteness and therefore like, like they had the, honestly, the privilege of being able to move in and out of these spaces, or even the ability to be considered a model anything is certainly a place of privilege, right? Like the black community never had that, right? And so to see now this sort of thing where it's like, well, you know, you know, you can't just uh, keep on beating up on black guys who aren't doing anything or shoot black women in their beds anymore. So, okay, well, what do we do with all this white rage? Who do we blame something on? Well, I'm wearing this fucking mask on my face and I can't go to Margaritaville or the Cheesecake Factory. So let me blame this Asian person, you know? And right. it is such, like when you hear that quote, the whole like first they came for this and I didn't say anything because I wasn't bad and then they came for me and, you know, that's like legit. Like these statements when people say that our liberation is tied up in one another, like it's so true, you know? We, we need each other, you know? And, and, I, and I, I know that, just as there is just as much, um, I think racial hierarchy within Asian communities, like it's it's a hundred percent there, you know, and I think it just it sucks that it takes certain things for us to kind of wake the fuck up, and you're like, I'm not separate from the black community. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? How is that a thing? You know, we've never been separate from each other in that sense. So, so you grew up in these very white spaces. Like, when did you, when did you know you were Asian? I, yo, I, man, I like learned, I think I learned I was Asian when none of the girls had crushes on me. I'm like, wait a minute. I have crushes on all these girls and, and what the heck? Why, why do no girls find me attractive? But like, that's a thing, right? That's totally a thing in like being, if, if you're an Asian guy, there is kind of a perception Right. That perhaps you are not as masculine or you're not as alpha or and, and I don't care. Like I think the whole idea of like alpha like masculinity is bullshit anyway. But when you're growing up, you don't know that. Yeah. And even the people who you don't and even when you're growing up, you don't know why you might not know why you don't find an Asian guy attractive. Right. But kind of if you pull away the layers far enough, it's like, oh, well, because the Asian guy is the sidekick and like the Asian guy is the supporting whatever. And you don't want the supporting whatever you want, like Prince Charming. And obviously Prince Charming doesn't have like slanty eyes the way I do. You know what I'm saying? So I think that was one of the first things. Also, it's interesting. And I haven't even shared this on my own podcast. So this is an exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so, so before my mom remarried, uh, my last name was Chan. And I never kept the last name, not initially, just because I never knew my biological dad. Uh, and so my parents split when I was too young to even be able to kind of cognitively 
determine what what a last name was as a thing. So I just grew up being like, this is my dad and his name is Gibbs and my mom's name is Gibbs. And so my name's Gibbs. And I remember I wasn't able to legally change my name until I was 18 because in the state we lived in, you had to have your biological signature. You had to have a biological sign-off. And if, and if your biological dad goes ghost, then you can't get that sign-off. So you have to wait until you're essentially in college with a driver's license before you can even get your name changed. And I remember like getting my driver's license and he would say, Adrian Chan. And I would show, and I would be the, the response that I would get at like a party. If they're like, tell me, th- you know, two truths and a lie. I'm like, oh, my last name is actually Chan. They would go, lie, no way, no, you're too, you know, like, oh, you're, you're a coconut, right? Like you're brown on the outside, you're white on the inside. There's no way. And I think it's that where you go, oh, okay. So even by virtue of a different last name, nothing else changes about me. But just coming to the table as, oh, I'm Adrian Chan now, you immediately get perceptionally changed. And so the mechanism to protect myself from that, I thought I was protecting myself from that. I don't know if I actually was. uh, Other than maybe I was just kind of repressing it further is I would make fun of my own Asian-ness. I would make fun of my own thing. I I remember seeing some, in high school, there was some guy, his name was uh, Corey Chin. And Asian guy, he looked just like me. And some guy that goes, hey, uh, Chin, is your dick like super, super tiny, bro? Is your dick super, super tiny? And then what Corey did is he goes, no, it's much, much smaller. Like he turned into this caricature of what this dude wanted him to portray. And by doing it, everyone had a laugh and then they dropped it. And I saw that in high school. I'm like, oh, so that's how I have to play this. If I want to be safe in this space and I want to be able to be accepted without having some sort of adversarial relationship with whiteness, then I need to lean into a stereotype. If I make fun of myself, then you can't make fun of me, right? If I call out how Asian I am, then it's like out there and you can't weaponize it because I already used it, you know? Right. Yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced so much of the similar thing. No. No, No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, but it's, it's, it's you and I. I see what's going on. I see what's going on here. The same. Um, because like when you said like, oh yeah, I knew no, no girls like me. Um, cause there was something I woke up this morning thinking about, and this was, you know, way off script. Um, but I was like, oh, so I'm a black woman. You're an Asian man. And we are in the ladder of dating, desirability, marriageability, all these things. We are the bottom We're- rungs. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> How's it going down here? <laughs> like Cold we, as fuck. I think, I think occasionally it switches. Um, Every so often you'll get an outlier. You'll get like a Halle Berry or like a Stephen Ewan and they'll like inch us up like a rung. Like a rung. (laughs) But but all that does is like black women will be over you for a moment (laughs) and then it'll switch back. Um, But then at the same time, our counterparts are some of the most sexually fetishized, you know, and desirable. Mm -hmm. And... In Christianity, 
you know, growing up in church culture, there was nothing different to the world. Mm -hmm. Like there was that exact same, same thing. And so, you know, looking at, looking at this, you know, what has happened now, I'm like, purity culture has been such a, just such a mess in so many ways. And it has touched and affected us all you know, in different ways. So this is him like outworking whatever his rage is. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, I'm like on the complete opposite end of the spe- spectrum. I'm like me as a black woman, like I am nothing, you know, the mega churches I was in was looking for mm. in, in no way. Oh. Um, even in seeing, you know, cause like I said, like I, I know I had the biblical knowledge and I, could be in the background and I'm writing you guys the sermons mm-hmm. and I'm writing your Bible studies and doing all these things. But then would look at like the women that the pastors themselves would like set up for people to date. Totally. And you oh, know, she's a, she's to, a, I know to, the perfect single woman. She's great. Godly single woman. You're like, what? I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> no, you didn't know. Nope. I didn't get the message from you. All right. Are you talking about her? Oh, I get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And then it just makes you, you almost want to be abused in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like it's You're like, by all, by all means, like, like objectify me at least. Objectify hey, God, me. Can someone objectify me? So at least I can not be the bottom tier of this fucking ladder right now. Yeah. Right. No, but that's so true. And I think like, like I look at um, so many of the ways that purity culture exists, it's propped up on, um, completely visual, like stimuli. Like if you, if the whole thing about purity culture is that you're not supposed to date anyone until you're ready to get married. Right. And you're not supposed to even date anyone until you've like observed them from afar and seen them and the the way that they've like peacocked for Jesus. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like dancing in front of the fucking stage or whatever. And then you like approach them and then you get to know them. And then real quick, you got to tie the knot. Right. None of that can happen if you are not immediately, I should say all of it is completely contingent on the way you are perceived visually, because it it isn't so much about actually getting to know you. It's about seeing you from a distance on like Sundays and Thursday nights. Right. And so all of that, you have an entire facet of yourself that can prevent you from even being considered viable in any sort of context, especially like an evangelical context or whatever. And so when you look at this guy, you couple that with Asian women being like just completely like uh, um, like fetishized and, and objectified, um, even down to like I remember my dad saying something to me like back when I was a kid. He said, "Oh, I just always found Asian women so beautiful." And I guess folks can have preferences, I guess, but it's it, it was like it seems like there was something deeper than that. It's like that didn't just come from nowhere. Like that didn't just arise out of a bubble. Like the, the the messaging of like oh the white guy loves Asian women. Like that is informed by all the media that we have been kind of handed and all the ways like all the the narratives that have been handed to us over the years. And so clearly this guy if, if that wasn't an issue for him, then he wouldn't have gone to three spas that were run by Asian women or at least employed employed Asian women. Because I mean, he could have gone anywhere. Like he didn't go to a porn right. shop and light the porn shop on fire. He didn't go right. to a strip club and light a strip club. You know, like he didn't do it. You know, and so it's like, so you clearly were going to a very specific 
thing for a very specific reason. And if you're going to say it wasn't racial, it was sexual. Well, then guess what? You also said it was racial. Right. You know, and, and I think, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's so revealing and it's so telling. And what's interesting too, is that apparently if you asked, like, I think someone said on Twitter that, um, Korean news media that was there first or they were there or they, they broke it first, the story first, they were saying that he was claiming that he wanted to kill Asians hard stop. Like that was part of hmm. what happened. And then of course, by the time it passes through kind of like our own lines of communication, that kind of disappeared. Now, of course I'm speculating. I don't actually watch the Korean media. So I didn't actually see whether or not they said that or not. And there's no way of really knowing because it's secondhand information. Everything we're saying is speculative, I guess. But at the end of the day, even if you said race wasn't involved, if sex is involved and you targeted Asian places, then race was involved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. Like it's just one of the, one of the classic tricks of white supremacy and it's always like no 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 hey hey look over here it's not like it's crazy to me that like he's they're literally fine calling him a murderer mm-hmm. but do not call him a racist right <laughs> like that no that's he's a not a racist he's just a sociopath <laughs> he's just a psychotic killer <laughs> not a racist not a racist like, why do you gotta bring a race card kills- to this for no reason at all yeah. like that that's more comforting like yeah. yeah don't don't bring that into this but that's that's white supremacy doing its work and part of its work for generations now has been like sowing these tensions between the asian community and the black community mm-hmm. um and and like that's a tension that i've always known has been there and then as I've been reading more and just doing, just reading more more black history things and looking looking into things, like I didn't realize, I don't know like why, I mean, maybe it's the whole white innocence and we always just assume the best of everybody. And like, oh, this is just a thing that just kind of happened. And it's like, no, this was like specific. Mm-hmm. This was planned. And even looking at things like the war on drugs and how um, what they did with you know, with crack and even with marijuana, you know, in the eighties and nineties was like a replay of what they did in the early 1900s with opium Mm, and how that was a war on drugs that was started to like keep white people from mixing with the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And they were like, okay, they're getting a little too cozy and hanging out in these opium dens. So we're going to shut that down and like villainize these people villainize these men and like you know cause this division it's funny you say that i remember really last year was the first time that i had to really take a hard look at my own like personal biases i think when you like like almost to a point where i like don't even sometimes i like don't make jokes about like an asian person and i'm like well you can't say that and i'm like why the fuck not? I'm Asian. But it's like, no, you're not. It's like, what? No, no, I fucking am, dude. I am very Asian. And so it, it, like, I am just scratching the surface of all the ways that my 
kind of white evangelical upbringing has programmed me to believe that I am other, that I am, that I'm not what I am, you know? And it's like, well, I promise you that like, if I went to a church in like the deep South, that was a largely white church, they would think I'm other, you know what I'm saying? Um, And so as I was kind of trying to do some of like my own anti-racism work, I was learning all the ways that like the, the narrative surrounding Filipinos was very com- comparable, not entirely, but there are certain intersections where like a, there would be a white line and then there would be a line for blacks and Filipinos where it was like, this mm-hmm. is the like, you know, so, so obviously there is intersectionality, but however, if you go to, you don't have to go very far in a Filipino neighborhood before you find like a really racist grandma or something. You know, and so it's like, where did that come from, right? Like, where did that where did that come from? And so I think you, you speaking about these pitting these kind of communities against each other, it makes me think of like, if there's a teacher who just totally shits on this one particular kid, and then just adores this other kid, both of these kids are trying to survive in their own relationship to that teacher, right? Whether it be, right. how do I make myself small and subservient, or whether it be, how do I kind of try and actually stand up for myself or actually reclaim my own agency. And what can often happen is now this person who is just getting like, like shit on by this teacher can go, well, this fucking teacher's pet, they're the fucking problem. Right. And it's like, and then, and then the teacher's pet is like, well, you know, come on, why can't you all just, just like, just step in line. That's what I'm doing as if it's that easy. It's never been that fucking easy and it's not going to be that easy. Right. But I I think the sooner we go, Oh wait, no, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with either of us. And therefore, there's really right. no point us thinking that we are separate. You know, we are distinct, yeah. right? The, 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 the struggles that the Black community faces is so distinct from what the Asian community has experienced. But that doesn't mean that we aren't tied to each other in some way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, like we absolutely, absolutely are. Um, and I think, I don't know what it's, what it's going to take, but I'm like, I think, I mean, obviously we need to, <laughs> it's like, we all just need to stick together. Right. I mean, yeah, we need to stop splitting like, up. It's not Scooby-Doo right now. Right? We need to stop I'm splitting like, up. We're all, we're, we're all like the idiots in the scary movies right now. Like <laughs> all we're right, all. I'm going to go this way in the dark forest. <laughs> yeah. You guys go over there right. by all the knives and guns. We'll be fine. Right. No, we'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and there's this one monster and it's like, yeah. we know what it is. Right. right. And it's like, but we all keep like feeding each other too. Like, don't eat me, mm-hmm. eat him. Totally. Nothing personal against him. <laughs> right. But definitely eat him. Nothing personal. He's great. But for real, fucking He's eat great. him first. He's fucking. He's delicious. <laughs> he, is dele- he is the best <laughs> in every way. And that's why you should eat him. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, yeah, we just need to figure out how how to band together um can we talk about something um i i want, i was thinking something literally as you're talking about like all the ways they interlap i just like came to my mind isn't it wild that the same kind of evangelical repression that caused ravi zacharias to own a bunch of spas and sexually abuse these asian women that work there somehow is the same machine that causes a person to blame the Asian women that work at all spas. And to, you know, and I, and I don't know if this guy had any knowledge of what Robbie Zacharias is up to, but if you, if you really believe that 
you know, temptation is the enemy and you need to flee every sort of temptation. You need to make war with the flesh and make war with all these things. Then it would completely stand to reason that you would find a woman who you would typically find desirable in your context and say, well, obviously she's the problem. Right. And it's just so wild to me that on one spectrum, Ravi Zacharias can get away with abusing Asian women. And then this guy can get away with it and blame the Asian women. These women had no control over the way that Ravi and the way that this Atlanta shooter perceived them. Right. That, that was not their control. They didn't choose to be fucking perceived in this way. And that they were the ones that were completely victimized, not believe, believed and, and ultimately targeted, you know? Right. It's crazy. Which is honestly the story of womanhood in Christianity. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's crazy because, yeah, you can have all the verses about flee temptation. And if your eye offends, you pluck it out and all this. But like all of that is personal responsibility. Like you're the one who's supposed to be running. You're the one, you know, if something has to be mutilated, it's your mm-hmm. body. Like, and so it's weird that how it's all got turned around and ev- all the impetus is put on women. Like we've <laughs> probably every woman who has spent a year in a Christian environment will have some kind of story, if not involving herself or somebody else and the commentary about how they were dressed mm-hmm. or, you know, Oh, you know, we can't be, we can't be causing your brothers to stumble. Mm-hmm. Like, all this responsibility is put on women mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all the time, which is then so crazy because then you only want men in leadership. And it's like, I don't, the math just doesn't math here. <laughs> because it's like, you guys are supposed to be in charge and in power over everything except your body. Like you cannot control mm-hmm. that. And that is my responsibility to like keep you from stumbling yeah. that's so true like the whole like if if you're well your eye causes you to stumble pluck it out or if your hand causes you to sin like cut it off so like if this guy really took the bible literally to flee temptation he would have chopped his dick off before he bought a gun you know what i'm saying do that right. first buddy boy like like cut it off at the source man and and so the and i think to me what's probably one of the most devastating things to experience and again like as an asian man but an Asian man who has been able to move relatively unfettered in white spaces and who has not been fetishized in the way that Asian women have been. I only represent this finite, very, very finite experience of, of being a member of the Asian community, right? There's so many other stories that are just so much more devastating. That said, it is still so fucking frustrating that this can occur and then immediately, like, the news narrative come in and they go, well, he was like a God fearing guy. He was like young, even down when that one like police uh, person at the PR conversation said he had like a really bad day. He was at the end of his rope. And so it's like, okay, so, so you can spin a narrative around a person that just committed mass murder about how much he had a bad day, but then you can watch like George Floyd get murdered on the street and, and then somehow try and find something wrong with George Floyd. Like, question George Floyd. Like, wait a minute. So clearly it has nothing to do with what side of the, of the law a person is potentially on. So, well, then what is it? And I, you know, I'll wager a guess because there's kind of some common fuckingalities right now. Common fuckingalities. I'll tell you what it's not. I'll tell you what it's not. It's not right. race. Uh, so don't right. bring I'm that so up. Don't. It's definitely. Don't even. <laughs> there's no way it's race. There's no way. <laughs> 
Don't even try yeah, it's that. It's bad dayism. It's not racism. <laughs> totally bad dayism. We've all come on. Everyone's a little bit bad dayist. Come on. <laughs> oh yeah, let he who has not killed someone on. <laughs> Did you see the uh, the Onion article where it's like? This police officer says, I know what it's like to have a bad day and murder eight people. I'm like, murder eight people. it's not even satire <laughs> yeah. at this point. Like, you're just freaking calling it as it is. It's not. And they could have gone a step further to be like, and murder eight people of right. color. Because that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. what it is. Like, they're not. It's not racial. Just strangely, coincidentally, yeah. very specific. Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I, I feel like. You know, when I was like deep in the evangelical bubble, the idea of intersectionality, first of all, I didn't even know what the fuck intersectionality was. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the devil's music. Let's cut it out. Um, and then intersections. I'm going to stop at this intersection. Okay, great. I get I'm going to stop at this intersection. Y'all fucking stop at your intersection because I don't want to deal with it. Um, and so it, as I was becoming more and more like, like uh, acquainted with the term, I kind of, in the beginning, I really, like, I'm ashamed to say, I thought it was, like, some sort of, like, badging system. Like, you're a Boy Scout, and, like, if you can name all the different things that you have like, going against you, like, oh, wow, you win. But what I'm seeing now, yeah. and what I've been trying to unlearn and and educate myself on, and it's been hard work, is educating myself in all the ways that it is a systemic thing that's happening. So when people talk about intersectionality, they're not doing it so they can have like as many feathers in their cap to show how persecuted they are. No, like people are expressing intersectionality because they're showing there are multiple things that build on each other that cause systemic oppression. Right. And so you wouldn't have this sort of weird fetishization of Asian women. If there wasn't some sort of colonization and white supremacy that drove why one particular race of people is subservient to another race of people. And you wouldn't have this sort of weird, like repressed, violence if it didn't also have to do with the ways that purity culture and evangelical approaches to sexual ethic completely stifles any sort any semblance of desire any healthy iterations of sexual ethics right like so what i'm learning now is like oh shit we can't pull one thread unless you're ready to pull all the fucking threads because they are laying on top of each other and they've been laying on top of each other for centuries yeah yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's just a big, it's, it's a literal clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. Like, and I feel like I've never seen it as perfectly encapsulated as this instance. I have, but like, it's, yeah. it's for some reason, this particular instance seems like the most on the nose. It's almost too textbook. The way so many things. It's too, yeah. like, if someone wrote yeah. this in a movie... You'd be like, that's, that's yeah, too much. Right, right. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're going overboard to, like, prove your little point because yeah. that's, this is some Tyler Perry-esque. <laughs> like, get it. just over uh-huh, the top. Uh-huh. No, yeah. like, not, not possible. And yet here we yeah. are. Um, and it, I don't know, like, like 20, 2016, for me has become one of those years that will forever feel like it was just last year. Like when I, when I talk about 2016, like I'm like, Oh yeah, that was, that just happened. And then now I'm like, no, that was like five years ago. Like we went through Mm -hmm. a whole other election cycle. So all of these things, it was all stuff I was like aware of as a person in the world, you know, to a certain extent, 
But for me, like that election definitely started showing the church's true colors mm -hmm. for me. Um, and then, you know, from there, it has just been a steady kind of progression. But like when I look back, I know and found out where white Christians were. I knew where black people were. I kind of had an idea of where like different Latinos and different groups within that were. But like when I look back, I'm like, Asians are kind of like a blank to me. Like I don't remember <laughs> them being strongly yeah, anywhere. Yeah, well, because our parents wouldn't let us out of the house. That's where we were. <laughs> we were at home. I can speak from experience. <laughs> we really couldn't hang. We weren't allowed to hang. So from that time to now, I guess, how surprised are you that we're here? Like, was this, was this growing? Were the signs there all along? How has the Asian community kind of been, been living through this time mm -hmm. and changing or not? I, I feel like the Asian community has always received condescension. And in certain areas, absolutely, there's always been kind of anti-Asian violence. But I feel like for like, so long there was almost like well you know like what can you say against asian people they're all like quiet and they're nice and they do your nails and you know like they you know like they they so like what, what what's the problem with them we have so much bigger fish to fry right and then like covid-19 happens and i think suddenly the rhetoric goes from oh asians are like these quiet little kind of submissive sidekicks like the green hornet, you know what I mean? Like his little Asian sidekick. Like it goes from that to being like, well, look what China did. Can you believe what China did? Then now you kind of have a reason to start making fun of Asian people. You know, you make the jokes like, hey, I got this thing shipped. I'll watch out. Don't get it shipped from China. I remember... Um, Early on in 2020, I made coffee and I brought it to someone and they said something like, okay, you didn't get this from, out of, bring this from out of, out of town, did you? or you didn't go on vacation or something, did you? And at the time I didn't know what they were talking about. And I was like, oh, this is, a, this is an Asian produce joke. Like, oh, I see what that and it took me, honestly, and that's how, when I tell you, Janice, that I am so far removed from my own Asian-ness, I'm like, I don't know what you're fucking talking about. And I just went on my way and went and freaking watched Mad Men, okay? Like, it took me, like, a whole fucking Asian minute to go, oh, shit, like, you were talking about me. And so, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, when I'm having to completely unlearn how kind of oblivious I am to kind of some of the ways that I'm perceived, it's like, oh, shit, okay. And so, but what happens is you go from, like, Asians are kind of like, there's nothing wrong to say about them because they're quiet and nice to now it's like, well, look what they did. And now it's a joke. And I think it starts as kind of a punchline and you call it the Kung flu and you say, thanks China. And you, like, you start with that. Right. And then all it takes is a white person's freedom with a capital F and a trademark sign at the end of it, their American freedom to be hindered then you have to blame somebody and, and it has enough. And, and instead of going, well, like our government hasn't done their job to prepare us for this crisis and all the ways that we could have responded has been completely flubbed by the powers that be and in support of capitalism because they're whatever or, or poor planning or, or ignorance or whatever, instead of going, 
look at all the ways that our government has dropped the ball and failed us. You go, well, we should probably, it's fucking China. China's going to pay for this. And as soon as you say something like China's going to pay for this, then you have suddenly categorized and you've completely uh, um, like opened a door to all of your racial biases because if you didn't think that all Asians look the same, then this wouldn't be happening, right? So obviously this is like showing very clearly that um, people have this idea that, you know, all Asians look alike. all these like kind of these biases that you've heard for, you know, I've heard my whole life, you know? And so I think that's kind of how it's kind of snowballed to this. But to your point, all that fucking long-winded ass thing to say, I haven't noticed it to this degree. And I think we are seeing it happen in real time so much more than ever before. And I think there is now this running joke of like, oh, well, you know, like the woke mainstream, you can't see anything wrong about like black people. And like these white guys will like make these jokes and they go, well, you got to be careful now. And now all of a sudden, so, so what, what do you do with that? What do you do with that repression? And what do you do with that anger? Well, let me just kick the Asian guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and as you were, you were talking, I wrote this note, China is smarter. Um, <laughs> Cause it was like my, my shorthand. Cause I'm like, I wonder how much of, how much of this like has to do with kind of like the global economy and just the world in general and the fact that America is slipping mm-hmm. for many reasons and should be. Um, and so we're at this weird place because there are so many jokes about, you know, how China will be the next superpower and how, you know, oh, we all need to learn Chinese because, you know, that's what's coming. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how much of this is being fueled by that fear of, basically being taken over because we are dumb Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we are like, none of our systems work. I think COVID showed Mm -hmm. that like we are, we have nothing. Um, And so you've got that. And at the same time over the past few days, there's been this whole thing about, you know, Joe Biden and whether or not he should debate Putin about like whatever. And like seeing all these patriots like cheering for, Russia, like, you know, oh, Joe Biden can't stand up to him, da-da-da. It's like, whiteness is, like, so afraid of what's coming. Mm. It's like they're almost trying to pick their next overlord. Mm. And it's like, we'd rather it be Russia than China. That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. That's so interesting. And so, so yeah, with COVID, because I'm like, because it's, it's wild. Like, we've had diseases come from all kinds of places. And then actually like it got here through Italy, like it came through Europe, like all these people traveling to Europe and then, you know, brought it Mm. back. But there's this focused animosity towards China. It's just wild. And I'm like, oh, like it's, 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 it is scary. Um, Cause I'm like, all of this stuff is just so deep. Like nothing is, it's all showing up on the surface mm-hmm. now. Like this stuff is is rooted. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that like like Bill can't go to the Cheesecake Factory and therefore he's gonna shout at an Asian woman walking down the street with her kids is so fucking wild to me. But like if you believe that like you're entitled to certain things and that like your fundamental right 
as a person born in this country is the freedom to do whatever you want, regardless of the price that has to be paid by someone. Then you go, oh, well, then I guess, you know, we are meaning makers. And so we will always try and find the root cause. But what's wild to me is that instead of looking at a system that was built by people, you'll like target people who had no fucking thing to do with your, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if you, right. if, if, if some guy, I read the thing on Twitter and, and I can't remember the woman who posted it, but she said she was just walking down the street with her kids and a luxury SUV came down and like a bunch of like white bros just started like heckling them. And it's like, did she fucking close down Margaritaville? Like, no, she fucking didn't <laughs> fucking relax. Like she didn't ruin your spring break, dude. Like, so I, it, it's, it's wild to me, but again, I, I don't know what that's like to feel like I deserve freedom with a capital F. Like, I just don't, you know? And and honestly, I think maybe that's part of our own programming, right? If you come from any evangelical space, then you don't deserve anything. And then if you're a minority in white spaces, then, like, you don't deserve anything and you better not ask for anything. You know what I mean? Like, you'll take the best you can get and you should be so lucky, right? So I'm sure a lot of that is programmed why I don't understand it. But it's such a disconnect for sure. Well, it is. I mean, and there's so much, so many studies dealing with trauma now and how, how trauma can be, you know, passed through like genetically. Um, so a lot of, a lot of the, the studies are obviously looking at, looking at black people and how, you know, how we parent and how we react to things and, you know, how much of that is inherited trauma. But like the other side that people aren't as comfortable talking about is like, for white people because like you cannot you cannot dehumanize entire groups of people mm-hmm. you cannot freely rape and murder and you know just abuse entire groups of people for generations mm-hmm. and that not affect you and that not give you certain messaging and not have you just feel entitled to certain things Um, like that doesn't just stop which is wild to me that christians are so anti like critical race theory or anti looking at these things so like the whole basis of your religion is that number one we're just garbage to begin mm with Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's just you know full stop but then also you know you guys love you know we talk about like like word curses and generational curses and all of all of this spiritual stuff and the the demons who have been here for years and are you know like you had your post about you know like yoga and all the spirits that are attached to that and you know and all yeah. of that but somehow slavery mm-hmm. and you know the way you guys you know, treat the chinese with the railroads yeah. and the internment camps and all of that should these be things Y'all are just being dramatic. (laughs) That just happened. Then we stopped it. And those spirits just left. (laughs) That's so true. It's like, how can Harry Potter be considered actively demonic? But like a history of racial violence is like, oh, no, that demon died a long time ago. He was dead. (laughs) We put that demon to death. What are you talking about? That's so true. That's right. When it's like, you know, there are people alive right now like you can see the the photos from like the lynchings and i'm like these were a family affairs it's like oh you guys coming to the mm-hmm. picnic mm-hmm. you know get there before you know, the body's all burnt mm-hmm. up you know photos 
So I'm like, there are people now who can look at those photos and recognize people and be like, oh yeah, that's uncle mm -hmm. so-and-so or that's grandpa or whoever. Mm -hmm. But to think, yeah, like those demons just died. Yeah. Like they, <laughs> no, they burned up with that body. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that body was actually the demon. So we took care of it. That was the problem. They were the problem <laughs> the whole time. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Which, oh, like that's, ooh, like full circle. They were the problem the whole time. Yeah, if we can kill these black people, if we can, if we can, if I can murder these Asian women to get rid of my temptation, problem solved. Yeah, done. Wow. Yeah. So it's all, it's all deep. It's all dark. It's all damaging. So Adrian, how do we fix it? <laughs> oh God, I gotta sign off real quick. I gotta hop off, Janice. I don't. <laughs> I was going to ask you a, a, a similar question. Well, I was going to ask you how to, maybe not how to fix it, but how, how you cope. Because I, I, I became very acutely, in this instance, and all throughout last year as well, being a person of color, um, when people try and argue with you as some sort of cognitive exercise, they don't actually have anything to gain or lose right. because they're, they don't have any skin in the game, right? They don't have a dog in the fight. You know, if, if you are, if you have white privilege or you are close enough in proximity to whiteness that you benefit from its systems, then it's easy for you to go like, come on now, like, let's not be so rash. Like y'all are being divisive. Y'all are, are jumping to conclusions. You're being speculative and you're causing further division, whatever. Right. And I, all I can, it, it, it takes everything in me not to just be like, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Get the fuck out of my face, right? So, like, in your experience, like, because I know for a fact, right, the, the ways that I have experienced those conversations and my gut visceral reaction to those conversations just in the past couple of years, mm -hmm. I know for a fact that my black siblings have had to deal with their entire fucking lives, right? So in your experience, like, can you speak to some of that? Is that something you, you know, how do you process that stuff? At this point, like, I don't have, I kind of have, like, a no conversation policy at this point. Like, I spent mm -hmm. years trying to get people to have the conversation um, and being yeah. thankful for that. Like, oh, at least you're willing <laughs> to talk about it. Like, that's that's something. Oh. Um, but, you know, there's that, that quote about, like, like not not talking to people who are like dedicated to misunderstanding you um and i mm. think a lot of people still want credit just just for talking um and so now and because we're living in such a specific like everybody has their own set of facts and everybody wants to listen to what they want to listen to and so like i'm mm -hmm. not <laughs> i'm not here to argue with your fox news bullshit don't tell me what candace owens said you know, like right. your your hand picked blacks. Like yeah. you're, don't send me a link. Right? And you're trying to make us yeah. us fight each other. Uh -huh. I'm uh -huh. like, no, unless unless you've read something from my approved list of you know whatever. Because I don't, you know, I used to feel, you know, we have to have a conversation. So I have to listen to your point of view too. So yes, I have mm -hmm. to go watch this stupid Fox News program so that I can, you know, debate with you. And now I'm like, no, because that's the water we swim in. I know what you think because mm. I used to think it myself. Um, totally. So I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. So here's something 
you can read. So if you want to talk about black on black crime or blah, blah, or whatever, then all right, then I'm, oh, I won't give you a whole book, but all right, you really want to have a real conversation, then go read this article and then let's talk about that. Like, let's, you know, let's talk about something specific. Most people don't want to do that. So they don't want to, we don't even have these, these arguments anymore. Um, yeah. And so right yeah. now, because even with, you know, Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate and all of these things, like the question I've been asking myself the past few days, I'm like, who, who is that for? Like, who are we talking to? Because I know <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Um, <laughs> right. Not Asian, not hating Asians isn't like a hot take. <laughs> right. right. Wait a minute. <laughs> who is this? Okay. Why are we not saying like, no, stop, stop white coddling. Stop like mm, white, mm-hmm, white terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things are like little steps and yes, we need to say these things, but then I'm like, I feel like we just have to, honestly, we have to start banding together and we have to kind of just like be okay with not being liked and realizing like these systems are toxic. They're not for us. They've never been mm-hmm. for us. They're never going to be for us. Um, so like some of the most kind of like just peace and calm and just being able to survive day to day for me, it's just being like, oh, like I am just so proud of black people, like for everything Mm -hmm. that's been thrown at us. So just kind of like leaning into just the wonder of who we are and all that we've survived and how Mm -hmm. hilarious we are. And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, oppression. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah. you know, the Asian community is the same. And I think like, I think we just all need to lean a little more into ourselves and finding, mm-hmm. you know, finding our own grounding and just being really, really proud of who we are. And then like, like acting from that, um, because if I'm, you know, no, I love, I love who I am. And if I realize the general white community at large, they're never going to get on that train. Like they love our culture. They love our food. They love, you know, <laughs> yeah, these yeah. things. They love our movies. Yeah. And they'll, they'll take that. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, they love your medicines and your practices and your totally, fighting man. style. Like all these things. They'll take it, take it, take it. But they don't want us. So fine. Let us go away. Mm. You know, I'm all about, you know, the different like black communities that are kind of springing up and trying to do different things. Um and I feel like our way out is going to be to kind of like separate ourselves and regroup on the other side. And hopefully, mm. like I said, we can stop splitting up to try to fight this monster and mm-hmm. just be like, no, dude, if you're going into the woods, I'm going with you. <laughs> I'm going to the- <laughs> right. I think right. our answer is in the garage, but we'll go to the woods first. <laughs> and then they look around and then we'll go look, at the we'll garage. Go look in totally. the garage. Totally, totally. I, I, I think too is, I, I think of like, I, I realize that the privilege that I've been afforded my whole life positions me in a certain place that I get to be in front of an audience who probably wouldn't have given me two seconds. We even talk about even just having the last name that I have. There are folks who are going to listen to something that I have to say. One, because of like, I have like my like podcast partners, like a white passing Cuban dude. And, and like, there are things that I'm going to be able to say that 
I know for a fact that if I, that they if, if Cindy Wong Brandt or Joe Lumen said it, and this is a fucking fact, I've seen it happen, that if Joe Lumen posts something and I say the exact same thing just in a different way, mm-hmm. the ways that white dudes will come at Joe Lumen or someone like Cindy Wong Brandt, they will not come at at Josh and I in the same way, and that's privilege, right? right? And that's an opportunity me to shit on those guys. <laughs> I will dunk on you all day because fuck you. But, 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 and, and if sometimes that's what it takes, you know? And so I think what I'm trying to do to your point is try and go, I'm grateful for who I am and I'm grateful for where I come from and I'm grateful for what I bring to the table. Do I have a lot of fucking work to do? Yeah. Do I have a lot of unlearning to do? Totally. That said, like I can look at what I've been given as, as an opportunity, you know? Yeah. And so that's that's kind of where I'm trying to go. Like I'm able to say things that people would hear that they wouldn't otherwise hear. Yeah. If I looked a different way or if I presented myself in any different way, you know. Yeah. And I think that's you know, it's kind of like um like Moses, like being raised by Egyptians. Um we are we are whitewashed folks and like mm-hmm. It, it cuts both ways because we both, you know, have a lot of unlearning to do. And, you know, just when you realize like your own internalized stuff and you're like, I am black. I know that's not true about black people. Why am I, where, where did that come from? But it also like in a way we're like, we're like bilingual to this culture. And so, you know, when I'm coming at white people or just people in general, cause I'm like, I know what white supremacy is. Like, I'm not coming at you kind of accusatory. Like, I think you think this because, no, I think you think, I know you think this because I think it. Like, I know, I know how this works. Um, So I think, no, it's great. It's like, you're right where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to do, doing what you were raised to do, basically. Like, but you've (laughs) become, you know, you were the secret agent on the other side and now you've like <laughs> taken that knowledge and totally. now you've gone black ops, like literally. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Cause like it, even in, in like an evangelical, like a theological context, there isn't a thing that like a theological bro can like drop on my, on my feed that I take all that seriously because I'm like, yeah, I know what you're saying. I know. Yeah. Yeah. The scriptures are clear. Yeah. yeah I know. I know one day every knee will bow. You know, like I get it. Like there isn't an argument you can present to me that I haven't heard before, that I haven't regurgitated before, like a small group at Starbucks, you know what I'm saying? With like a bunch of other guys who look just like me or whatever. Like there isn't a thing you can say that I haven't heard and haven't said. And I think that if we can get to that place, I speaking for myself, like me and, and others like me, if we can get to that place where we can approach our own like anti-racism work and the same sort of thing, especially those of us who were kind of forcefully integrated into these white spaces. Honestly, if you were brought up evangelical, unless you were brought up in a very insulated, like like a Korean church, which is a very kind of an insular sort of community or like a very black church is very insulated. But if you were brought up as kind of like evangelical in the broader sense of the term, you were brought up in a white space. Right. You know, at some point, just like you said, how like eventually if you go in up, up the, the, the theological chain, like you have a white grandpa up there somewhere, you know. Um, and so we have unique opportunity the same way that we can approach those like theological conversations from experience. Just like you said, like we can approach those sort of 
like racial conversations from experience. Yeah. Ooh. We did it. We fixed, we fixed it, Janice. <laughs> Y'all are welcome. God has not given. <laughs> You're welcome. Just like that. Oh, what a what a great day tomorrow is gonna be when all of this is all of us just wake up and everything's it's fixed. fixed. Oh my god. Oh, so they'll never great. know what we did. We never get the credit. Never get the I'm telling you, we're so we're at the bottom of the, the ladder. You don't pay you don't give credit to the bottom ladder. You give credit to the, the top, top ladder for being so stable. Yeah. yeah. That's that's where that's where the magic happens. That's where it matters. Um so yeah, so we fixed it. But just in case we didn't. And people out there need something. Adrian Gibbs, what is something you believe or believe in? I, I've been thinking about that. I've been asked that a couple times and, and when you mentioned something about it, I was like, oh God, what am I gonna say? Cause it changes day to day. But I'll tell you what I believe today, um, especially in light of this, the shooting that happened. I believe that our life is completely finite, but I believe that our legacy is not necessarily finite if we don't want it to be. And I believe that we have a unique opportunity in the quantifiable number of breaths we have left. We have a, I, I can tell you what happens after I stop breathing. I've, I've told you like it's a big shrug at this point. I don't really know or care. But I can tell you that between now and the time I do, we have a unique opportunity to leave something behind. And whether that means, you know, like, you do what you're doing, like Janice, where you're like doing a podcast and doing anti-racism work, or whether that means you're enjoying your family or, or I'm enjoying like my kids or I'm like drinking good beer, like it, whatever that looks like, right? There is a beautiful and limited opportunity. And so what I am trying to do is like eat my food slower, you know, and, and close your eyes when you're when you feel a breeze, like if, if we, if I can get to that place where I'm leaning into all these moments that I know will eventually end for good, uh, then perhaps that is like as close to whatever experience of the divine that I was brought up with. Like that, when I can get to those places and it doesn't happen very often, when I can get to those places, it's kind of like smelling grandma's cooking again. You're like, I, I, I remember this, you know, a little different. It's presented a little differently, but I, I remember this, yeah. you know. Ooh, that's good. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a good conversation. We need to get you on DRCK. We're going to have to do it because I want to, I want to take a whole episode just talking about like your experience. <laughs> I read your, like your, uh, um, was it a blog or an article on yeah. like your Hillsong experience? We're gonna have to talk about some of that. And then we can talk about all things anti-racism and then we can talk about megachurch dynamics. We'll have a good old fucking time. Do you think megachurches have a problem with race? I mean, there you go, there you go again. No. Always, always. No, you're right, race. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm being divisive, you're totally right. That is a conversation that is unfortunately evergreen. Yeah. So whenever you're ready. Right, right. There Great. will be something to talk about. <laughs> That's so true. Okay. All right. That sounds great. But it was great to finally meet you, meet you. Yeah. Uh, this was fun. This was good. So. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. 
All right, my friend. So that's that, and that's a wrap on episode 2.7, and a wrap on me thinking I'll ever be able to fully outsource the responsibility for repairing the world. The best thing about this conversation was also the hardest thing, which was just realizing, again, how much work we all have to do, not just externally, but internally. If you walk away from this episode with anything, please let it be that there is no shame in having work to do. The monster is real, and it will keep picking us off until we stop trying to make deals with it and actually start dealing with it. So thank you to Adrian for such a good, honest conversation. I am very happy to be Team Stick Together to stick it to the monster. And thank you, listener, for listening in on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I hope you'll take a moment to jump on Apple Podcasts to leave a review. And be sure to follow this podcast at God Has Not Given on the Gram. And check out the blog at GodHasNotGiven.com. Hit the show notes for all the links. Tell your friends. Be well. And I will talk to you soon. I am an evil.